I'm the one physician, but I maybe have two or three PAs and 25 medics and they're scattered all across the continent and there's still only one of me. And so through that scarcity, and it's very Hmm. much similar to what's happened with the pandemic, right? The availability of in-person brick and mortar visits has gone down, but the demand for healthcare has stayed the same. And it's also increased because people are sick. And so what do you do? And so again, telehealth, the ability to extend ourselves virtually into places where we aren't physically present to practice medicine was born out of scarcity in 2015. Also, you know, born out of scarcity or necessity now during the pandemic. But I do think it, it takes a little bit of bravery. You have to be brave. We have to be able to break out of that mindset of, I physically have to lay hands on a patient to know what direction to go with them. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. It's just very unscripted, so don't worry about it. Just, uh, Love just it. I, I, I'm scripted. He is unscripted. That's how it works. I, I, I'm unhinged, perhaps. Uh, that's that's the problem. <laughs> okay. Unhinged. Is that your New Year's resolution? Unhinged. Uh, that's uh, maybe to get hinged, actually. Like your like your uh, top shirt button. That's right. You know, you give the fans the taco meat. Give the fans what they want. That's right. In anywho. Welcome back to Recommended Daily Dose. I'm Dr. Clinton Coleman, along with my unhinged colleague, Dr. Sherrod Sugger. (laughs) We have a wonderful guest, Dr. Laura Purdy. She is a board-certified family medicine physician and an expert in virtual health. At least we we have an expert in the room, unlike either one of us, but thank you for coming. She's the co-founder of two telehealth companies, including MD Integration. So she's here with us to discuss all the innovations in telehealth and how it's impacted healthcare today. So welcome. Dr. Purdy, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Nice to meet you guys. I love it. I'm happy to be here, hinged or otherwise. And I know I told you that I need a little break uh, from COVID since we're experiencing the uh, feared Omicron surge in the hospital. But uh, I figure we're going to have to talk about it in some shape, way, or form since we're talking about telehealth. But before we dive in into your companies, what you do, how you got there, you know, tell us a little about your background. Sure, love to do it. So like you mentioned, I'm a board certified family medicine physician. I actually spent my first, um, my first, I guess, 14 years in the military. I just got out of the army in May of 2021. And so it's kind of interesting, you know, back in 2004, 2003, 2004 is when I was applying for medical school and you guys probably remember back in those days of yellow ribbons everywhere and like USA and, sure. you know, people yeah. fist pumping in the streets. So USA, and that's all that you could see on the news was um, fo- footage from the Middle Eastern. And so I, um, my dad said, you know, I'm not going to pay for your grad school. And I was kind of in the middle of all that. And so I ended up joining the military to go to medical school. And so the way that it works is you kind of, it's nothing to do, but leadership positions, mm-hmm. you know, it, I feel like it's rare that you just be a doctor and only practice and don't get put in charge of something. Sure. So I did, uh, I did outpatient. I did inpatient. Uh, unless you're Dr. Coleman, which in that case, you were not. I'm in charge of a lot of things. Sorry. I apologize. I digress. I'm sorry. <laughs> keep going. There's a reason why he's not in charge. That was the reason why I'm in charge. I have to keep going. That's his 
hysterical. Um, so, um, yeah, so I just did, you know, hospitalist, I think is what I love is to, to be a hospitalist and I did yeah. med feeds and, um, but I've done like full scope outpatient, you know, multi, um, disciplinary, like disability clinic type of things. Mm. And so I did all of that in the army. And, but I think the reason why it's important to bring that up is I think from like a business perspective, an entrepreneurial right. uh, perspective and an innovation perspective, you learn how to get creative with limited resources when you work for the federal government. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I mean, you know, it's what you do. It's, it's just like so, if you work at the VA, right? Same, I guess, same idea. That, yeah. Exactly same. Yeah. Probably. When you, when, when you think about it, the, the military and government is usually at the forefront of, of most technological innovations. Um, I'm interesting how that translates to, to medicine. So. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, but like you said, the, the resource is not always there. So, I mean, you, you have to make do with less, right? And do more. Yes. I mean, I think the first telehealth visits I ever did was uh, when my medics would deploy to uh, Africa. It was our country that we were over. It was our area of operations. And, and they were there without physician oversight. They were highly trained critical care paramedic level right. type of medics. And they would, we all had iPhones. So they would call and text me from Africa. We had ruptured appendixes, trauma. Wow. Uh, we had gunshot wound. I mean, we had, you know, um, rare diseases for here that are common in Africa. And so sure. that was the first telemedicine that, um, that I did, but I started moonlighting. I started moonlighting doing telemedicine while I was in the army, realized that I could make it into a career so figured out how to build that up so that as I was exiting the army, I could be fully launched and ready to go without any sort of downtime sure. into health. So that's, that's how it started. Quick question. Is that, is that yeah. common in the military? Like re more remote care? Um, Cause I'm used to, I'm no, not me, but Dr. Serge used to seeing Matt, he, you know, he grew up in the MASH uh, era where, you know, the physicians <laughs> were old, in man. the Come field. On, um, I'll explain. Did, that didn't you apply for the military, Clinton, but you couldn't do a push up? Is that was not the yes, problem? That's what happened. Two push -ups? Sorry, I, I just, ran to Canada. That's right. Anyway, because um, that's around what, 2004, 2005? Is that correct? That particular, so I did school first and I did residency. So that was around 2015. Okay. But even then, I don't. Telehealth was not that common back then. Yeah, it's exactly. not that common at all, right? You think was that a majority of the care in, in the military? Is it tele virtual visits or telehealth? Yeah, because I think what you're getting at is that this has become almost like uh, super popular right now. And I, I, that's why I wanted to get to it was that it seems like you're definitely ahead of the curve. And maybe it's because of a reflection of the military, but I feel like with the advent of COVID, especially in 2020, and then when it receded, a lot of people are like, you know what, for lifestyle reasons, for accessibility reasons, even for patient preference, especially the younger millennials and below. Uh, maybe not the baby boomers like Dr. Coleman, but like, you know, they prefer it. So I, I guess, but it seems like you were actually uh, an early adopter, you know, or seeing this. So I, I guess uh, what we're interested to know is like, you know, is that a reflection of the military? Or is that something you foresaw that this is something that can be really, from an entrepreneur point of view, be be uh, be advocated for and that people would actually be interested? Because it, a lot of people thought, for instance, that it was COVID. People that weren't going to see the doctor and once COVID receded or vaccines were available, people would stop with the televisits. And that clearly is not the case. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I feel like in both instances, you know, what we're doing in the military, because the way that it works is obviously there's a, 
it's, it comes that it's almost like market economics with supply and demand, the supply yeah. of the need for patient care far out seeds, or I'm sorry, the demand for the need for patient care far out seeds, the supply of physicians. Right. And so I'm the one physician, but I maybe have two or three PAs and 25 medics and yeah. they're scattered all across the continent and there's still only one of me. And so through that scarcity, and it's very hmm. much similar to what's happened with the pandemic, right? The right. availability of in-person brick and mortar visits has gone down, but the demand for healthcare has stayed the same. And it's also increased because people are sick. And yeah. so what do you do? And so again, telehealth, the ability to extend ourselves virtually into places where we aren't physically present to practice medicine was born out of scarcity in 2015. Also, you know, born out of scarcity or necessity now during the pandemic. But I do think it, it takes a little bit of bravery. You have to be brave. We have to be able to break out of that mindset of, I physically have to lay hands on a patient to know what direction to go with them. Sometimes you do, sometimes you sure. don't. And, um, and, and so it takes a little bit of bravery, a little bit of creativity and good technology to be able to pull it off. So speaking of technology, what are you, I mean, are you utilizing like, uh, well, I mean, how, there's a lot of ways people, some people just do FaceTime, right? But then you worry about the HIPAA laws and then some people use Doximity Dialer, you know? Uh, and so that's the idea is like, what, what, how do you develop a telehealth platform or, or, or you know, and what do you look into it? Is it just patient privacy? And then how do you see technology advancing? That's one thing I'll hear from people. Well, it's great. But, you know, how do you get vitals? But what if, I mean, you know, or, or someone has a wearable watch or wearable technology, maybe they can transmit the vitals to you. And do you foresee like technology even advancing further so you can get uh, an EKG or, you know, hold up uh, the phone to the heart and look at a, at least, you know, a, a, an EKG or, you know, or other, other things you would normally be able to do from just a face-to-face. -face. So I'm very interested to see like, you know, your thoughts about where that technology is headed. Yeah. So to speak on your first point, the interesting thing about the, uh, the pandemic, so the Department of Health and Human Services, as mm -hmm. well as the DEA kind of came together because there's a bit of a controlled substance component to this. In March of 2020, when the pandemic first started, they actually loosened a lot of the HIPAA laws with regard to what interfaces you could do, use, you could use. That's right. Yeah. Telehealth visits. And if you read the language, I have a lot of respect for the way they worded it because it says if the physician is acting within their scope of practice, which always needs to be the case, of course. Um, it says if they're acting in good faith, right? So if you're not committing Medicare fraud or, uh, you know, running a virtual narcotics pill mill or something like that. And then the third thing is, um, you know, acting standard of care, right? So providing standard of care medicine within your scope of practice, acting in good faith, then they have given us the liberty to use our best judgment um, based on what virtual consultation platforms we use. Because not every patient knows how to do Zoom, Skype, Doximity, um, WhatsApp, FaceTime, you know, maybe they're Android. And so it's really hard to level that playing field because the options are so vast and there's yeah. not one universal way that we do um, telehealth. So the department, you know, the government has actually helped us out a little bit in, in saying, we trust you. If you're trying to do the right thing, we're not going to come and send you to jail for FaceTiming your patients during right, the pandemic. Right, right. Um, so I appreciate that. 
The, the second thing that you touched on, um, we actually call that remote patient monitoring and the ability to get more. So there's a lot of telehealth that you really don't need objective data for. Like if a woman comes to me and they um, say, I took Augmentin last week and I'm having some itching and some discharge, I don't really have to necessarily get a blood pressure before I can send Diflucan. Diflucan, yeah, sure. Um, and there's other things like that too, like dermatologic conditions, like poison ivy. I don't really need to know what their respiratory rate is or, you know, what their heart rate is um, in order to, you know, send some trimcinolone. And a lot of telehealth is really low hanging fruit. Um, lately, within the last year or so, we have extended that same acting in good faith to the patient's principle as we have, um, as we've been extended as physicians. So blood pressure um, is really an interesting point of controversy because when patients come to telehealth, they do sign waivers that say, I understand that my physician is making the best decision they can okay. with the information that, that I give them. Right. That, I, I think that was a, a, a big reason why a lot of doctors didn't do virtual visits or even telephone visits or prescribed by phone was the liability. Like, um, you say you didn't have a yeast infection or you didn't have a UTI and I gave you antibiotic and you had a side effect, you know, there was some liability, you know, doctor, you didn't see that patient or evaluate that patient, you know, I, you know, would that stand up in court? So I think that was one of the reasons, but I also think that liability was balanced by reimbursement. So we saw that, um, you know, during the pandemic that, you know, previously telephone visits and televisions weren't really reimbursed. Really well. reimbursed. So that kind of balances that that liability have to take. So I think, um, you know, it, it's funny that, um, you know, scarcity and need are important, but there's certain, I guess, um, how do I say it? Uh, one of, one of the people in this room, not me subscribes to a, an online service where you, know, you can order male hair growth products, like things like that. <laughs> you see an increase in like, uh, I think it's Hems. What, what's the name of the company you subscribe to? Hems? Uh, Soul Glow. Soul Glow. Right. But the point is that there's certain uh, parts of the industry where remote telehealth, you know, especially, you know, male hair growth, even female hair growth, you can, you can actually, with testosterone, things like that, you can. Testosterone is another one, yeah. Sure. Yeah, you can remotely talk to a physician and, and get the medication. So I know that was a lot, but I think the, the real question is, do you think that the liability and the reimbursement has changed it to, for the better? Very much so. A lot of services are cash pay. I mean, if you go online, you'll find people who've recently gone to jail for shady practices. But right. the bottom line in all of that is universally insurance fraud is what it comes down to. Yeah, and right. I think just as many people in the brick and mortar get in trouble for insurance fraud. That's true. And, probably more. You know, yeah. Probably more. Yeah, probably more. But I've been following the several states. So I'm licensed in 48 states currently, hmm. hopefully 51 by the end of the year. But um, I've been following disciplinary action reports of several of the states because I want to know what types of things people are getting in trouble for. And the punishments that are currently being dealt out are far worse than in good, you know, doing in good faith evaluations um, in order to try and provide good care for people during the pandemic right. and folks are committing crimes and being heinous and coming to work drunk and, you know, doing drugs while they're taking care of patients and um, sexually taking advantage of their patients and 
mm. you know, doing, doing horrific things and they're getting right. disciplined for that. But right now I, I have not seen, and patients do complain. Patients try to sue just like they do in the brick and mortar world, but, yeah. um, you know, having good technology that is, um, protects their information, has good tech and data safeguards, having SOPs, having intake forms and having documentation of everything the patient says and everything the doctor does, including all the waivers that they sign that says you understand virtual health has limitations and we're doing the best we can. Right. Uh, all of those make that defensible argument so that sure they, I mean, sure they can try to take you to court, but the likelihood that you're going to lose a malpractice suit acting in good faith over telehealth, I have personally never seen it happen. Hmm. Interesting. You know what? And so I, before we dive into like your specific uh, telehealth platforms and your business and how you came upon that, are you seeing more physicians? So, you know, a big thing, you know, we've talked about in our show before is physician burnout, right? I mean, infectious disease doc, uh, you know, um, it's been like nonstop work, right? And the ER docs, ICU docs, and I think medicine in general, you, you, I follow different Facebook um, and different other online uh, physician uh, resources. And there's the advent of people doing side gigs and entrepreneurship and, you know, physicians on fire, financial independence are early. So you see a lot of people looking to say, hey, you know what, I don't want to sacrifice my entire life uh, for medicine. I want to do medicine on my own terms. And so I'm seeing more and more interest in local tenants as well as telehealth as a way to battle uh, physician um, burnout, because they can say, I can take a break. I, you know, I can be at home with my children, especially during the pandemic. I don't have to go to a brick and mortar store. So are you seeing a more, I guess, what kind of people are you seeing? Are, are you seeing that are, are looking to do telehealth, not just as adjunct, but perhaps as a uh, full-time gig, or are you seeing that? Or is it more mostly people who are doing it as adjunct or side to their clinical day job? Yeah, I see it all. I mean, honestly, that's the beauty of telehealth is that it is not one size fits all. And a lot of times what I'll kind of challenge people, doctors who are thinking about getting into it, um, because there's tele ID right now. There's, can you um, remind me, Dr. Coleman, what is your specialty? Nephrology. There is telenephrology right now. It's out there. You don't say. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Indeed. I, cause that's one of the things I do is I kind of watch the job boards because it helps me understand directions that the industries are going in. Hmm. Uh, cause usually people hire several months before they go live and tell us specialty care. There are active jobs on Indeed right now for telenephrology, teleneurology, teleendocrinology. Really? Yep, well, menopause. Mm-hmm. Ne- nephrology is really like a thinking man's um, profession, unlike ID, where you can just. Uh, You're more the heroes of the pandemic or the heroes of, of, of the last uh, several years. Yes. That's true. You, That's true. you are you. a hero. Thank you. You are a hero. Thank you. It's all going to come back to the pandemic. Um, what, <laughs> we said we weren't going to talk about it. Is that something? We can't get away we, from it. We that. have to. No, my phone's been ringing off the hook here while, you know, about uh, COVID. Are there, are there common? I know family medicine is probably up there. Are there common other specialties that. Um, you see the trend towards telehealth. Hey, women's health psych, I imagine, would be another big one, no? Yeah. There is a huge need. There's a huge need for mental health yeah. practitioners of all kinds. I mean, honestly, there's the, the demand far out, far exceeds the supply uh, in mental health as well. I mean, folks are flocking online to get their mental health care, and the volume of people is astronomical. I mean, that is an epidemic in and of itself, right? Mental health is an epidemic right now. Um, 
you know, I, I think it was always say, there, just been exacerbated by the pandemic, right? And, and it was brought to the forefront, thankfully, but I think it was woefully uh, kind of swept under the rug and it wasn't, uh, you know, people didn't always want to talk about it. So I think that that's one of the positives that have come out is that, you know what, uh, mental health, like you said, is an issue. And then we need to, um, we need to just uh, take away any stigma uh, associated with them. Tell us about your, your company and how do you, I guess, tackle this, this, this burgeoning, this, this drive in, in telemedicine. Trend, this, this trend. Trend, yes. Like, that's you. the word you're looking for, my friend. Thank you. You're welcome. The wave of the future. So, you know, the interesting thing about being a, a virtualist, so those of us that do full-time telemedicine hmm. or even part-time telemedicine, it's, it's virtualist. I believe that in a couple of decades, it's actually going to be a specialty because it's a totally different, it's a very nuanced, very different um, the medicine is the same, but the execution is a little different. Sure, of course. So, um, the, the, but the thing about, but you all, there is this, there is this aspect to telehealth that it's a, the word, it's a startup world, unless you choose to work for institutional telehealth, which is MD live, Teladoc, Amwell, mm. the large health systems you have, you have big telehealth and then you have kind of mom and pop telehealth, right? Right. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, sure. Yeah. And so if you don't kind of sell out and go work for institutional telehealth as a, as a W2 with heatest measures and 40 hours a week, if you don't want it to be completely analogous to your day job, because it can't, if that's what you want it to look like, right. Um, With time tracking and hours and productivity and RVUs and all that. All the things that make medicine, the stuff that's sold out of medicine. Yeah. Right. You can, you can actually do telehealth that way. There are companies that are doing it that way, but if you don't want to do it that way, then the way to do it is to kind of market yourself or work with or for co-founders of smaller companies. But as a trade-off, they will often be early stage, maybe underfunded until they raise money Mm. and then they're going to be low volume. So the way to make that into something that replaces your full-time income, you have to work for several companies. Yeah. That makes sense. So the, one of the companies that I founded, one of the projects that I've worked on is MD integrations, which is essentially an API and a web portal and a 50 state physician network. So if, you know, if you wanted to start a company, Dr. CMD tomorrow doing just a beauty cream, you know, prescription tretinoin or something like that, you could say, hey, MD Integrations, I'm going to launch this nationwide a month from now. And all you have to work on is your own personal business development, marketing, branding, and all that. But the medicine and the EMR is uh, is plugged in for you. That's how it works. Amazing. Amazing. Ah, so that's Can I ask you, I mean, your background, I mean, did you, do you have an MBA as well? I mean, things like business development, entrepreneurship, is something you just learn on the fly while you're in the army then applied it when you came out into the civilian world or is interested to see how this developed for you um where did that come from yeah so, uh, my dad actually was a businessman had an mba and i think had an entrepreneurial heart but when i was growing up those were the types of dinner table conversations we had we would just sit around and talk business and I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, we would talk HR, we would talk operations, we would talk quality improvement when I was a middle schooler and a high schooler. And so I feel like that was already, and I watched him go through Lean Six Sigma and go through finance classes. And I thought it was really interesting, but I ended up going into medicine. And um, 
So I feel like it's been a natural extension of that. And so mm. I got my MBA because I did get an MBA uh, and wrote my thesis on the pandemic. We're not going to be able to not talk about it. That's true. Um, but I, 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 my master's project was a business plan. And it was actually a business plan to start a telehealth company, but, you know, predicated on what was happening during the pandemic. So mm. um, I finished in at the end of 2020. So anyways, um, so I feel like it was kind of already there in my blood. And I really had that in my upbringing. And as I started working with telehealth companies, you're sitting around a table with business folks as the only doctor, not understanding half the things that are coming out of people, kind of like sitting in a room of nephrologists, right? I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> it's true. You know, and it's, it's all GFR like, and credit it's clearance. It's all, we break it down to it. It's, it's all math. It's all mobile yeah. number. Yeah. Um, potassium bath you know that's all you I mean i could do that yeah, yeah. yeah. tubules and like glomerulus and i don't know um, i feel like you guys are making fun of me um <laughs> but honestly like i had never thought of telehealth until the pandemic like i, I mean it was available but it was like you know it, i don't know if it's difficult for me to interpret things on the phone and not actually examining the patient um but when we weren't able to see patients because the office was I mean, physically able to see patients because the office was shut down. We started doing telehealth visits and like, I don't think we've looked back. It's been, you know, a good adjunct to our, to our practice. So Dr. Perry, just tell us a little bit more about your company, where people can find you. And then, you know, exactly like if you were to, uh, I would say break it down, talk like a six to a six year old or talk to Dr. Coleman, like how would you describe what it, it actually does? You know, like, are you saying that it is a, you could, one physician A could both work for your company or also utilize it uh, as they're developing their own uh, niche telehealth practice? I guess I'm just trying to understand like how your, your company comes into play. Yeah, so our, our customer are, is businesses. And oh, I see, I see. Yeah, the vast majority, so this is probably gonna blow your mind, but the vast majority of telehealth companies that come into existence right now, like the small gee whiz up and coming innovator startup, has no physicians on their executive team mm. and they don't have any physician advisors and they don't even know any doctors. You know, maybe they had a friend who's a doctor that had a conversation with them or sure. maybe they found somebody to be a mentor to them, but at the ground level, they have no idea how to actually do the medicine. Sounds like an insurance uh, company. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Totally. One. 100%. And uh, so what yeah. do you do? Yeah. So usually it'll be a, a business person and the tech person or a business person and a finance person or a lawyer and a finance person right. as a founder team. And so, or a nurse, right. Or someone who's not a physician. So those founders come to us basically as the vendor of all the medicine. And did you start this with like, uh, I mean, did you have VC backing? How did you, uh, have you ever, like, or do you just start this with your own, not, not asking particularly in my finances, but did you have backing from uh, from industry or from private sources, or you know, how does someone even co come into this idea that I'm, I'm going to start this, this this business model? Yeah, so I would say that the first thing that happened is we lived it. Yeah. So lived it. We we got in there and worked as a telehealth. We worked that telehealth grind for several years. Identified all the problems. Realized mm. that the solutions weren't being made. And so they say like, if you know, don't complain about something unless you're going to propose a solution, right? Unless you can do it better. 
So what we did is we fixed the technology, we fixed the solutions. And honestly, it, it hasn't really been that expensive. We did take a small, we went through a startup accelerator program to help us understand the business aspects that we didn't already know, pitch decks, investor decks, um, financial projections, some of those, you know, legal, some of that type of stuff that still you wouldn't inherently know until you had actually executed a startup on your own. Sure. Um, there was a small investment there, but because we are doctors and we understand what the platform needs to look like, we really don't need any additional advisors. It really hasn't been that expensive and has been immediately profitable. I mean, within the first 90 days, blown it out of the water, growing exponentially. Um, you know, the month over month growth has, has been crazy. And we have maybe 20 companies or so that are using the platform right now. And Mm -hmm. the doctors actually, so as internists, you guys, are you guys both internists? Yeah. I mean, yeah, internists train, okay. Both in trauma medicine, then, you know, nephrology and infectious disease specialty. Yeah. Okay, great. So, um, so the way that works is let's say you wanted to like be on the network, right? So you sign the contract and you have a login for the system because you're an internist even if we don't like, we don't have any tele ID right now, but what if we did, right? But we, you would actually be eligible to work on companies that do infectious diseases, which we actually do have it like an STD, you know, like an STD testing company or something that sure. you know, then provides, you know, chlamydia treatment or trichomoniasis treatment if they come back positive, um, no HIV treatment. But, you know, if we had somebody smart enough to know how to do that, mm-hmm. be good. Wink, wink, you know, so what about, what about, what about COVID treatment? We're back to the pandemic. You know, it's like oh, we, yes. a lot of our current telehealth is, you know, COVID. Related. Or even long COVID. I think that's, that's yeah. a very look into in terms of patient. You know, we, probably two out of three out of 10, two to three out of 10 patients will have some degree of long COVID for six months or more. Um, and that's certainly, you know, as this pandemic spreads and more and more percentage of the population gets infected, that's going to be a, a larger percentage of people who have, um, brain fog, which Coleman, Dr. Coleman can attest to, you know, or any other, other typical um, long COVID symptoms, but that's very fascinating, so, you know. So uh, um, can you, can you walk us through the process? Cause Dr. Sucker wants to set up his STD clinic. So he has to get uh, licensed in 48, 51 states or how does- There's only like 50 uh, states, but just, just so you know. To. So the way that it works, so the way that our search works is you're not setting up your own clinic. You are 1099 contractors treating any companies that we are the vendor to. We do, you can license the software and do your own SaaS version, software as a service, yeah. where you just pay to use the technology, but we don't send you patients. Um, and that is a perfectly easy way to do it. But once you sign up, if you sign up to be a contractor, like if you 1099 with the company, then you log in and basically you get put into the round robin of whatever companies you qualify to work for, it actually can be more lucrative for folks who have single licenses or just a few number of licenses because you could do men's health. You could do, to some extent, women's health as you feel comfortable. You could do hair loss. You could do a lot of dermatology as an internist because that's all in your wheelhouse. You could do infectious disease. You could do telenephrology if we had that type of client. Um, but as an internist, you would qualify to work for several different companies. So you would be taught the protocols, which are just standard of care practice of medicine. And then you'd be toggled on. So all throughout the day, patients will be sent to you in a round robin fashion, according to the state licenses that you have. 
and then you just do the cases as they come through. So, but I would imagine in order to you know increase your 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 patient load, you'd probably be want to you probably would want to be licensed in multiple states. Um, you know, as of now, I'm only licensed in New Jersey. So, um, but remotely, I mean, your reach is as far as as much time as you have in, in the day. So, exactly, yes. And Dr. Purdy, can you just tell us a little bit about where people, listeners can find you, whether it's on the web, if there's any social media handles, et cetera, learn more information. We don't call it the web anymore. We don't. We call it the dark web? Oh, the metaverse. The, the, the meta- metaverse. <laughs> oh, do you have any thoughts on that? I didn't get my uh, my, my virtual goggles yet, but I've been uh, looking into it. That's an interesting concept. Imagine. Uh, oh, the metaverse on, as, yeah. as, as telehealth. Yeah, going to see your doctor in a virtual brick and mortar. Uh, it's, a time, concept, it's a matter yeah. of time. It's going to happen. I, the technology is, I'm, I am very excited about where technology is going because all of these bright, innovative entrepreneurial minds that are out there just coming up with these great ideas and looking for somebody to help them do it. Mm. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing how we get to practice medicine 10, 20, 30 years from now. Awesome. I, I think, uh, you know, people need to keep thinking positive, right? There is some uh, cynical, uh, pessimistic thinking in medicine sometimes with insurance companies, et cetera. But I think if you keep thinking about technology, cutting edge, and then at the end of the day, doing the right thing for your patient, which is obviously the overriding goal for any of this, um, you'll always be on the right side. Yeah, but so where, where can we find you? Where, where, what is, uh, you know, how, how do people get in touch with you if they're interested in, you know, whether it's software becoming a contractor for you, you know, how do people find out more information? Yeah, mdintegrations.com is, if you're interested in this particular opportunity, I consult with a lot of other companies. I have lots of other projects that I'm working on. And so you can find me on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. Laura Purdy, send me a message. Um, sometimes it takes a minute to get through them all because you get a lot of spam on there too. But, um, but you can find me on LinkedIn. You're welcome to send me an email um, or you can just find me through the website there, but I love to, to network and connect and, you know, there's, there's something out there for everybody. And I have a really large network in the industry of connections and whether they're like good quality recruiters, not just the locums kind, but like good recruiters that do telehealth recruiting only, or um, companies that I know are looking for specialties um, or just even helping, you know, like where to look to find like indeed that's my like free tip for the day. Go to Indeed mm. and type, you know, nephrologist location remote, and you'll right. find it. Interesting. State and you'll, they're there. Well, Dr. Larry, thank you so much for coming on today. You know, honestly, this is actually, um, it was fascinating for us. Um, uh, I think we both have these entrepreneurial spirits. You know, I do a lot of clinical research. I do a lot of other things besides uh, just traditional uh, clinical ID, uh, as does Dr. Coleman. We'll have to talk about it offline sometime, but um you know, to see someone so bright and then entrepreneurial, but also, you know, just cutting edge is very, and I mean this very inspiring. So I want to thank you so much for, you know, joining us today. Where are you joining us from, by the way? Because it's very cold over here. I'm just realizing my office is freezing. <laughs> you look much warmer. Are you, are you somewhere warm? I'm guessing you're from the South somewhere. Yeah, I'm in, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I was going to say either Tennessee or Kentucky. Because I, uh, I grew up in the South, although Coleman oh, doesn't, here we go. Here we he go. doesn't think it's the South. I grew up, in Southern Maryland. He's like, oh, Maryland's a Northern state, but I grew up in the lower part of Maryland. So even though geographically- What's, what's, what's say you, Dr. Purdy? It's, it's so in Southern Maryland, which again, I'm right by the Southern part of Virginia. 
and I went to school in Richmond. I still think that's culturally the South, even if geographically it's in the middle. So we have this South, Jer- South Jersey is culturally the South. When you when you go into past uh, no, but Maryland. So you know, when, you, when you cross Maryland, you cross the Chesapeake Bay. It's south of Mason Dixon Line. It is culturally the South. It might not be the deep South or the dirty South or whatever, but it's still the South. Dirty South. <laughs> All right, so we'll have to debate this on our next show, but we want to thank our guest, Dr. Laura Purdy, so much for coming on today. Uh, please reach out to her and link and uh, you know network with her if you are interested. Until next time, I am your co-host, Dr. Sir Sugger, with my esteemed colleague, Dr. Clinton Coleman. Until next time, be well. <laughs>